0: And let's read the verse at the top of your notes it's 1 Corinthians 15:58 we've been doing this in this series it reminds us we're talking about always abounding in the work of the Lord so let's read that verse together with us you see it there it begins with therefore and so therefore we're going to read this in a, together are you ready all right therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then let's go ahead and read that next verse there. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 23 through uh, 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, As we've looked through this series, I kind of have an overview of what we've been through for these past few weeks. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We looked at stewardship in the first four verses, or nine verses rather. And we learned to always abound in giving, showing hospitality, and proclaiming the gospel. Then we talked about serving. And uh, we talked about honoring those who abound, enduring in abounding, refreshing the hearts of God-sent ones, missionaries, like we're going to do in a couple weeks. And then shared community. We talked about always abounding and greeting one another and building community in small groups. And what I want to do today is point out to you what, how Paul wrapped up this entire letter of 1 Corinthians. And he wants us to learn to abound in sovereign grace. He wants us to abound in sovereign grace. And we see this in verses 21 through 24. And here's the main idea. The main idea, it's in that box that's right under that chart. And it says this, Those who are always abounding in stewardship, in serving, in shared community, have learned to stand strong in the good news of God's sovereign grace. They've learned to stand strong in the good news of God's sovereign grace. And this is really how Paul ends this letter. So look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16, and let's look at verses 21 through 24 one more time. Notice what it says. It says, I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. So here's Paul's last words. He's been dictating this letter, uh, though it's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's actually the words of God. He has been dictating. Now he picks up the, the, the ink pen, and he writes in his own hand, and he says this, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And what I want you to see is he he ends basically with this idea. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Basically he's saying this. Look, if you're going to abound in the work of the Lord, if you're going to apply what I've taught in 16 chapters, it's going to come down to this. You need God's sovereign grace in your life. Now, what's sovereign grace? Well, those two words combine two of God's most amazing attributes, His sovereignty and His grace. Now, if we're going to really understand those two things, you better start reading Genesis to Revelation. You better study your whole Bible, because it takes the entire Bible to unfold those two ideas. But for this morning, let's just break it down this way. And so what does sovereign mean? Uh, I, you know, I have to, you know, if I'm going to use a phrase sovereign grace, I want to know what it means, and you need to know what it means, right? So let's just take let's just take some time, and let's just break that down. What does it mean when we say sovereign? Well, here's uh, how I would define it for you based on what the Bible says. The triune God. The God who is sovereign is not just any God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. The triune God is the only one who rightfully rules over everything in the universe for his glory. That's probably as simple as you can make sovereignty. It's the triune God who's the only one who rightfully rules over everything in the universe for his glory. And why does he get to do that? Due to the fact that he is the creator and he's the creator of everything and he's perfectly holy in his character. So... You've got to understand, God's sovereign because, he, because he, he created everything. And because he created everything, he owns everything. And because he owns everything, he rules over everything. This is important. Why do people want to eliminate creation? Why do people want to eliminate a personal creator? Because once you've eliminated God, guess what? If he's not the creator, then I don't have to be accountable to him because he didn't create me, he doesn't own me, he doesn't rule over me. Creator. But it's ingrained in us to say if someone rules over everything, what kind of person is he? You know, is he a manipulator? Is he a dictator? Is he doing things... By chance is he selfish, and that's where the good news comes in. The, God, the, the The God who is our Creator also has perfect, holy character. So let me make that in a little bit easier to understand. In other words, our one God who is three persons is large and in charge. That's what sovereignty means. God is large and in charge, and He has the character to handle it. That's good. Are you with me? I mean, it's great to know, hey, this guy's large and in charge. God's in charge of everything. But guess what? He's got the character not to manipulate it, not to use it for his own selfish means, and, and we do not fear him. Therefore, we can fully trust him in all things at all times. The sovereignty of God is his total control of all things, past, present, future. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. Nothing happens beyond his knowledge or control. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. All All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own glorious but mysterious purposes and in accordance with his perfect will and timing. That's what sovereign means. Listen to a couple passages. Romans 11, 33-36 teaches what sovereignty is in a great way. Listen to what it says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unfathomable are His ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or became His counselor? In other words, which of us is smart enough to give God advice on running the universe? Any takers? No. No. That's why he's sovereign, because he's wise enough to run everything. And then he says this, or who is first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? In other words, who, which of us has ever given anything to God that wasn't already his? You say, well, I gave I give his money, I give my money, I give the first part of my money to him. Yeah, but that was already his. He, he provided that for you. Well, I've dedicated my children to Him. Yes, He gave those kids to you. Well, I, I've given my life to Him. I give I give a portion of my time. Hey, guess what? Every minute of every second of every day, your life is His. In 1 Corinthians, this very letter, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8:5 For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed, there are many gods and many lords. There's all sorts of authorities in this world. There's all sorts of demons. There are all sorts of of powers. But here's what he says: Yet for us, as believers, for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, uh, from whom all are all things, and we exist for Him. In other words, everything comes from Him, including us. Therefore, we exist for Him. And then he says, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So, the bottom line is this. Sovereign means God is large and in charge, and he's got the character to handle it, and we can trust him. How do we know he's going to bring this all together? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Turn back one page in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15 and in verses 20 through 28. We studied this out a few months ago. We saw that the way God, the reason we know God is um, is going to be able to bring all things together because, oh, I guess I, I forgot to tell you this, um, is when, when we think about God's sovereignty, it means He started everything. That's creation. It means He keeps everything going. That's providence. It means he corrects everything that's wrong. That's redemption. It means that one day he's going to make everything better than it was originally. That's new creation. How do we know he's going to do all that? We know because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And that set in motion a sovereign uh, sovereign progression of events that's going to culminate in Jesus being sovereign over everything, and when he's sovereign over everything, he's going to lift himself up and submit himself to the Father, and God is going to be all in all. So that's the sovereign part of sovereign grace. But what about the other half? What's grace mean? Well, let's look at this. What does grace mean? This sovereign God rules over everything in the universe he created, in a way that not only brings Him glory, that's what we just saw, but is also for the ultimate good of all creation. He rules in a way that is for the good of all creation, including His most prized creation, which is what? What is the greatest thing God ever created? Mankind, male and female in His image. Who have chosen to rebel against His perfect Creator, His perfect—I'm uh, sorry, His perfect character and His gracious rule? So here's what's amazing: Grace is this. This sovereign God created all things for His glory, and yet His most prized creation rebelled against Him. And grace is this: He still rules over everything in a way that is for our good, even though that we're shaking our fist at Him in unbelief. That's grace. All right. Now, how does He show that grace? He shows it in two ways. One way is called common grace. It's called common grace because it's common to all people. Unbelievers, believers, everybody gets common grace. You don't even have to accept it. You don't even have to know it exists. You get it. Alright? Common grace. What is that? I've got it written there. Common grace is God freely taking the initiative to allow every undeserving rebel to continue to live and enjoy the goodness of His character and His creation even though, even though, here's the grace, even though they continue to reject Him and live in rebellion. That's common grace. You say, what's common grace? Common grace is Unsaved people get up every morning. Uh, Common grace is this beautiful fall weather is enjoyed by unsaved people today who don't darken the door of a church, who never give thanks to their Creator, who never look at that beautiful fall foliage and say, what a beautiful God we have to create that. And yet they enjoy His gifts and He doesn't strike them dead for their ungrateful hearts. That's common grace. It's taught all over the Bible. Let me just give you one verse, Matthew five forty five. God makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, we get all of our food wrapped up, packaged and canned, so we don't get the sun and the rain part. And yet, uh, Ken just told me they went out to Red Barn Farm and they need some rain out there because it was a dust storm. He went on a hayride and went on a dust ride, okay? So, whether we, you know, we're not going to get anything off the shelf if God doesn't provide rain. We don't get any food if God doesn't provide sun. And yet, He does that for people every day who live their entire lives denying His existence, hating his standards, and yet enjoying all the benefits of his creation. That's common grace. That's sovereign common grace. Even the atheist enjoys the effects of God's sovereign common grace through his beautiful creation and his provision of the resources necessary for life, like food, clothing, and housing. Paul even used common grace in his in his witnessing. Listen listen to Acts 14:17. He says, And God did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Every time an unsaved person sits down at a meal with a steak and a potato or a big pizza, I don't know what gets you excited, or some great barbecue like Gwen and I had last night, every time an unsaved person sits down and says, Man, that was good. God's witnessing to him and saying, you know what? I'm sovereign, but I'm gracious. I rule for my glory, but I also rule for your good, and I am a giver of every good gift. Come to me. Come to me and get what I have for you. So that's common grace. God doesn't owe us these things, but He sovereignly provides them to exhibit His grace to all people, even those that that deny His existence, hate His holiness, and His righteousness. So that's common grace. But we're here to talk about saving grace. What's saving grace? Well, let's look at that. It's written there in your notes. Saving grace is God freely taking the initiative in saving out of all these undeserving rebels, some whom He calls through the gospel to be his witnesses and to do his work, having given them both the desire and the ability to be and do these things. Listen, saving grace is the fact that out of all of us, while we were all rebels and we were all denying Him, and we weren't living for Him, or if we did go to church, we were just doing ritual, and we were just doing our own thing the rest of the week, God reached down and took the initiative to call us through the gospel and to save us. And listen, He didn't just save us, He gave us the desire to live for Him, to work for Him, and He gave us the ability to do it. All that came in our salvation. Is that good? Is, is, is that is that really good? Yeah, that's good. He not only saved us, He gave us the desire and the ability to live for Him. As Christians, we're saved by God's sovereign saving grace. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you are saved through faith, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. The word there is the word we get Home from Poema. we We are God's poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What's he saying there? Look, we didn't just get saved to sit sour and soak. We got saved to do the works that God already prepared for us to do and gave us the ability to do it. Why should we always be abounding in the work of the Lord? Because we have God's sovereign grace that has enabled us to do that. So the reason I wanted to end with this lesson is because, listen, we went through chapter 15 and talked about the resurrection, and that was heavy on doctrine. Now we've been going through chapter 16, and we've been talking about abounding. Do this, do this, do this. I just want to remind you that in this chapter, the doing of that comes from God's sovereign grace. It's his grace that enables us to always abound in giving, in greeting one another, in refreshing hearts of our missionaries. All of that is a result of his sovereign grace. In fact, listen to Romans 5, 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, now listen to this, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, grace isn't just something that happened to you in the past. It's something that you stand in stand strong in the grace of God because that's where God's placed you when when you accepted Jesus by faith you were introduced to God's saving grace in which you now stand stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God not only this but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance Proven character and proven character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So see, this grace in which we stand enables us to go through the hard times. Anybody here going through a hard time? Yeah, some very hard times right now in this room. Some very, very hard times that are very difficult. And yet, if you're a believer this morning, you have been introduced to the saving grace of God in which you now stand, and it enables you to persevere. And as you persevere, you build character. And as you build character, you build confidence in God and in His grace. And as you do that, God's love starts pouring out through you, and suddenly you're you're going through things in a way that unsaved people just can't go through them. You're going through them in a way that gives glory to God's sovereign grace. So, there in your notes, putting everything that we just have learned together, sovereign grace is this. Sovereign grace is how God the Father rules over the sin-cursed creation. The sin-cursed creation that's in rebellion to Him. And why why does He rule? Why does He rule? Here's why. In order to take the initiative, in redeeming undeserving sinners through faith in his son. And he not only redeems them, but transforming them into his obedient children by his spirit. So, father, son, spirit at work. But what's the result? The result is we're empowered to always abound in the work of the Lord for his glory, our joy, and for the good of others. All I'm trying. You to stop and think this morning is this the reason that you can always abound in the work of the Lord is because of God's sovereign grace, because He's ruling over all things in order to take the initiative to begin to reach out to you, to redeem you, to transform you, so that you can always abound. I think that's just amazing. And you say, "Well, now where's that in 1st Corinthians 16?" Well, I'll tell you where it is. Paul said it much simpler than I did. He said, "What?" Verse 23, "The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you." You see, we read over that and say, "Oh, we're at the end." We're at the end. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That's how he and by the way, he always ends his letters that way. Why? because you can't live apart from God's sovereign grace. You can't do anything in any of Paul's letters without the sovereign grace of God at work in your life. God is large and in charge, and He has the character to handle it in such a way that He can take the initiative to freely, justly, and mercifully save undeserving sinners through the gospel. But He doesn't just save us, He transforms us into His born-again sons and daughters by His Holy Spirit. And the result is, we're empowered enabled to not only desire to work for Him, but we're able to labor in it, and it won't be in vain. Now, there's numerous examples of God's sovereign grace in the Bible. But perhaps the greatest example of God's sovereign grace is Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Now, God just kind of sovereignly organized this today. We're going to go upstairs in a few minutes, and we're going to hear a whole message about how God's sovereign grace initiated the salvation of the Apostle Paul. And so to build on that and get you ready for that, Paul's an example of God's sovereign common grace and saving grace. As Saul, the unsaved religious rebel in, in, in Acts 9, What's Paul doing in Acts 9 as an unsaved person? Persecuting who? Christians, God's people. And Jesus says, literally, when you persecute my people, you're persecuting who? And yet, every day, Saul got up, and what did God give him? Gave him breath, gave him good health. Yeah, but wait a minute, he didn't deserve that. Why didn't God strike him dead? God's common grace. It's undeserving. It's undeserving. Yeah, but I don't get that. How did, I mean, he was killing God's people. I don't get that. Well, God's purpose, he's sovereign, he's mysterious. His ways are beyond our ways. But listen, before you get too mad that he didn't kill Paul or Saul, have you ever thought of, why didn't God strike you dead and me dead before we got saved? Aren't you glad he didn't do that? How many of us know and realize that there's numerous times God could have struck us dead to do it? He had every right to do it. And yet he didn't do it. That's God's common grace. And so he gave common grace. Here's what Paul says. He says, you have heard my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, that sovereign saving grace, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me, God had to take the initiative. Because Saul was on a direction to hell, destined for hell. And God intervened. He took the initiative by His grace. It was undeserving. I mean, how much more undeserving can you be? Paul said, I'm the least of the saints because I'm the greatest of sinners. And he was. And God said, I'm going to move from common grace to saving grace I'm going to reveal to you the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not only going to save you, but I'm going to equip you to abound in the work of the Lord. And Paul, I'm going to take you, the worst of Jews, and I'm going to make you into the missionary to the Gentiles. And it's going to be a testimony to my grace. And you're going to abound. And you're going to be the greatest human missionary on this planet, I believe. Wow. Is it any wonder that Paul says this? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 8 through 10. Look at verses 8 through 11. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11. Is it any wonder that Paul wrote these words? He's talking about how Jesus, the risen Lord, appeared to the apostles. And he says, verse 8, And last of all, As it were to one untimely born. In other words, I was a miscarriage. I came at the wrong time, at the wrong place, but not in God's sovereign plan. He appeared to me also. And then he says, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. But look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Here's the lesson in a verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It sounds like Popeye, but it's not spinach. It's sovereign grace. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. In other words... God saved me by grace, but that grace wasn't wasted on me. I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so you believe. We preach God's sovereign grace. And it's not a grace. Listen, have you received God's grace? Are you saved this morning? But let me ask you this, if you're saved this morning, have you received His grace in vain? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Because God Paul says, when I got His grace, I didn't receive it in vain, I labored more than any of them. Listen, this idea that grace means you just sit back and you just let God do everything and you just sit around relishing in the glories of God, studying the Bible and getting deeper and deeper into the things of God is a bunch of beloved Paul says, man, when I got the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God, it moved me. It changed me and it got me working for the Lord and I worked hard to the point of exhaustion. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Wow. All right. Is it any wonder then in verse uh, 23 and 24 1623 the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. I think he's doing uh, in fact there's uh, there's no verb in that verse. We have to supply it's really the grace of the Lord Jesus with you. So the question becomes is this a prayer or a command? And I would put forth to you, it's both. Paul's praying, Lord, they need your sovereign grace. If they don't have your sovereign grace, they can't do this abounding. But he's also commanding them. You stand strong in the grace of God. God's already given you his grace. You stand in it. Now, move out and work with it. So, the question becomes, sovereign grace is for abounding. How do you stand strong in it? Well, let me give you four ways to stand strong. Here's kind of, it kind of works this way. God gives you His grace to stand strong in these things, but when you stand strong in these things, guess what you get more of? You get more of His grace. Okay, so I wrestled, you know, for the week, okay, how do I, do I You know, is this something we have, or is this something, you know, it's that same prayer. So, I pray that you will stand strong in these things. But actually, by His grace, you are standing strong in these things, and you'll get more grace. All right, are you with me? All right, so hang, hang, hang with me. Hang with me. Here it is. How do I stand strong? How do I stand strong in God's sovereign grace? Number one, stand strong in His gospel message. Stand strong in His gospel message. Look back at chapter 15. Now we're going way back. We're in our time machine, and we're moving way back when we studied chapter 15, many moons ago. And look at verses 1 through 2 again. Paul says to the Corinthians, who were already saved, who already knew the gospel, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you are also standing. There's the idea. He says, way back then, you stood in it. And guess what? You're still what? You're still standing in it. And then he says this, By which you are also... You are saved, which literally is you're being saved, continually saved by the grace of God. This isn't something that just happens in your past, and then you move, mosey on through life, deciding whether you're, you're going to love Him and live for Him. No, you're being saved by the sovereign grace of God. And He says, if you hold fast. See, so you got to stand strong in it. you got to stand firm in it. The word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Listen, if you're going to abound in the work of the Lord, then you've got to stand strong in the one true gospel. You've got to continue to refresh and preach to yourself the gospel that God came, became a man, and that man did for me what I couldn't do. He lived a perfect life. And in living that perfect life, he was God, he was man, and he offered up and sacrificed himself out of unbelievable love that I might be forgiven of my sins, and not only forgiven, but given a new heart. And in getting a new heart, He gave me a new desire, new emotions, new appetite, and a new ability to live for Him. Praise God, He's coming back, and one day He's going to take all sin out of me, and I'm going to be free of this sinful body. I'm going to have a glorified body, and my Pain is going to be gone. My, my temptation to sin is going to be gone. And I'm going to have a body suited and worthy of living in the presence of His bodily glory. And that's going to be all of creation. Glory, hallelujah, that's the gospel. And you need to stand in it. And you need to keep standing in it. And those of you that teach are kids, you need to be teaching that gospel. And those of you that are working and serving coffee and greeting people, you need to understand it's that gospel. He came and greeted us. He came and, in a sense, served coffee to us. He washed feet. How would you like to start greeting by washing feet? That's what Jesus did, Randy. Listen, this is the gospel, and we got to stand in it. Listen, think about your ministry. Think about you working for the Lord and ask yourself, Am I standing strong in this gospel message? If you stand in this gospel message, then you will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, you say, Chris, good night. Can't we get, you know, I mean, first of all, we're going from the deep things. Now we're going to the simple things that are so ridiculous. Why are you reminding me of this? Well, let me tell you a little little story why I am. Randy represented our church at the regional Awana conference here last weekend and did two seminars. Let's let's honor those who abound in the work of the Lord. Way to go, Randy. Good job. Good job. Two seminars. One seminar was on visitation and how that can help your uh, uh, Awana ministry. In the course of giving that seminar, Randy said uh, to about, what, 15, 20 people, 15, 20 people, all workers in Awana in different churches, in different ministries, these are people that are working in the Lord. These aren't just people off the street. I don't think you... You didn't pull anybody off the street, did you? Um, And so here's the question he asked. He he asked... uh, how many of you know how to present the gospel in a home if you were to visit? How many of you know how to present the gospel in a home if you were going to visit there? Now, how many hands do you think went up? Just guess. How many? These are Rwanda workers. Do what? Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> how many do you think? Okay, two. What else? Two. What? None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Not a one. Not a one. So, what do you think Randy did? He presented the gospel. Because first of all, because why? Now, I'm not saying all those people are unsaved, but I'm saying if I was asking that question like Randy asked, and I got zero, my first thing is going to, I'm going to say, I better share it because we may have unsaved people here. And And if they are saved, they're not abounding in the ministry when they don't know and share the message. Are you with me? So this isn't just minor stuff here. And Joe said, well, maybe as many as raising their hands. Well, Joe, I didn't ask anybody in the class yet, okay? But here's the thing. You know, if we ask this question of you and of your ministry team, how many of you would be comfortable sharing the gospel in an informal setting? And how much are you sharing that in your ministry and in your homes and in your witness? So, stand strong in the gospel message. And as you stand in it, you get more grace. That's why he's preaching the gospel to Christians here. He's saying, look, I'm recalling it. I'm reminding you of it because you guys are all messed up there in Corinth. And you have obviously... Not standing strong in the message, so as I end this letter, let me preach the gospel to you again. But we're already saved, Paul. That's basic stuff. No! Stand strong in it to grow in His grace. Amen? Is that good? Are you with me? Are you with me? All right. Now, here's what happens. When you stand strong in the message, here's the second thing that that you get grace to do. Stand strong in His gospel ministry stand strong in His gospel ministry. Listen, if you want to stand strong in the grace, the sovereign grace of the Lord, then you need to stand strong in the ministry. Look again at verse 10. Go back to chapter 15. I want you to look at how this all fits. Look at chapter 15. Look at verse 10 again. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove in vain. And how can I know that? Because I labored, and there's that word, working to the point of exhaustion. Even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Now, check this out. Compare verse 2 to verse 10. In verse 2, he says, If you don't hold fast to the gospel message, you've believed in vain. But in verse 10, he says, if you don't labor hard in the gospel ministry, then you receive God's grace in vain. Isn't that amazing? You know what? We got a lot of people that are believing in vain. They think they believe, but they don't know the gospel. They think they're saved. And we got a lot of saved people that know the gospel, that are, are the grace of God is empty, it's useless, it's worthless to them, because they're not working in the ministry. It's not doing anything in them. But the grace of God helps us. Listen, if you stand strong in the gospel ministry, your labor won't be in vain. And that's why verse 58 comes in, in into play. Look at chapter 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil's not in vain, but notice, in who? In the Lord. There's that sovereign grace again. He doesn't spell it out. He doesn't take a whole lesson to teach it. He assumes you know it. He assumes you know it. Now, the connection seems inescapable. Those that stand strong in the gospel message have also received God's sovereign grace to stand strong in gospel ministry. In other words, the same sovereign grace that enabled you to be saved and stay saved is the same sovereign grace that enables you to start abounding in the work of the Lord and to keep abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, God not only gives you the ability to accept Christ, he gives you the ability to serve Christ. Wow. You know, I really see that. Look at verse 58. You really see this in verse 58. Notice what it says. It's we need to remember whose work we're doing. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of who? It's His work that we're doing. And our labor is not in vain in who? In the Lord. It's His strength that we do it in. Isn't that beautiful? I stand strong in my ministry when I remember I'm doing His work, not mine, and when I do it in His strength, not my own. And that leads us to number three. Stand strong in His gospel mission. Stand strong in His gospel mission. When you put the message in, and the ministry together we need it enables us to stay on mission. Listen, what we do here impacts what's going on around the world. If we're not abounding in the work here, then we're not going to have the funds to fund missionaries. We're not going to have the funds to fund our own ministry. If we're not abounding in the work of the Lord, then it halts and hinders what's going on around the world. Now, I'm not going to preach this point because we just had last week's lesson, which was basically this lesson. But here's what God's sovereign grace does. It enables us to send missionaries like the Grits forward on their way in a manner worthy of God and with refreshed hearts. That's why all throughout this chapter, he says, send me forward. Send Timothy forward. Oh, thank you for sending the terrific trio that refreshed my heart. Because we God's sovereign grace enables us to stand strong in his mission. Well, finally, number four, stand strong in his gospel motivation. Stand strong in his gospel motivation motivation. I want to end with the with how Paul ends this letter and how does he end it? He ends it with love. Notice what he says 21 through24. the greeting is in my own hand Paul here's what I say if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed Maranatha, come Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, my love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. I think what you see there at the end is stand strong in gospel motivation, which is love. It's love. And that's not surprising, is it? What what is 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Love. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that without love, we're just a clanging... We're clanging cymbal. Without love, we can do great things, say great things, sacrifice great ways. But without love, it profits. It's nothing. So it's not surprising to find Paul mentioning love two times in the last two verses of this letter. But what kind of love is Paul talking about? And how does it motivate us? Well, first of all, we need to stand strong in a definition of love that is biblical. We need to stand strong in a definition of love that is biblical. Right now, there's a lot of confusion about love. There's a lot of advocating of love. We need to love, love, love. But the first thing that Paul says about love is not politically correct. What does he say? If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him or her be what? Accursed. I mean... Okay, so let's talk about love. Well, you need to love the Lord. Well, maybe I don't want to. Okay, you're going to hell. Does that sound loving? But that's a biblical definition of love. The biblical definition of love is this. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures. It's important to remember that when Paul says bear, endure, hope, believe all things, it's in relation to rejoicing in the truth. It's a biblical definition of love that is able to say the hard things, the hard truth, and to say it and to live it in a gracious manner. And we know that this kind of love comes from the grace of God, because the next thing he says, the grace of the Lord be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. This kind of love only comes from Jesus. Biblical love is rooted in God's grace, and God's grace never celebrates or promotes sin. Instead, God's love desires to rejoice in the truth, it desires to do the truth, and it desires to live out the truth. And this kind of biblical love can only come from God's grace, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. And the good news is, such love never fails to accomplish God's purposes. Now, how does this motivate us? Stand strong in the motivation of love that is eternal. So you get your biblical definition, and then you get eternal motivation. A biblical definition of love will give you an eternal motivation to do four things, and I'll just give these to you. Number one, love the Lord. The thing that motivates us more, listen, our ultimate job is not to love people, it's to love who? Yeah, what's the first commandment? And it's first for a reason. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. But it is the second commandment. And so our motivation for loving people is first and foremost to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't love Him the way the Bible declares we are to love Him, then we are accursed. That's hard stuff, but it's true. Number two, long for the Lord. He says, Maranatha. That simply means, come, Lord. Come, Lord, I love you and I long for you to come. I, your kingdom come, your will be done. This isn't about what I want. This isn't about what other people want. We minister out of a love for you and out of a longing for your kingdom to be established in the hearts of people. Listen, we just don't love people for, for, for the sake of loving them. The world can do a good job at that. In fact, they can sometimes do a better job at that than we can Just loving people for the sake of loving them. I just love you. We love people, and we long to see God's rule be established in their life. And that means saying hard things and doing hard things, but doing it in a gracious manner. Number three, look to the Lord. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives you this kind of love. Listen, this kind of love doesn't come from our own willing it. It doesn't come from our own emotions. This isn't just an emotional thing. This isn't just a willful thing. This isn't just a rational, mental thing. It comes from the sovereign grace of God. Listen, if I don't love like God loves, it's because I don't know God. Let me say that again. If I don't love like God loves, it's because I don't know Him. Now, maybe because I'm disobedient and I'm unbelieving, but over the pattern of our lives is we love like god loves and that's number four love like the lord my love be with you all in christ jesus this isn't just my love this is my love that is a god-like love it's a jesus love it's a fruit of the spirit love and i want to love like jesus loves But the way that Jesus loves is Jesus says the hard things to sinners. He loves sinners, but He never participated in their sin. He never gave approval to their continued sinning. Rather than celebrating their sin, He confronted them with it, and He called them to repentance. That's Jesus' kind of love. He told the woman caught in adultery, what did He say? Go and sin no more. He didn't say, hey, keep on doing that. It's okay. I've got you covered. I've got your back. He said, no. No, I don't condemn you because I've forgiven you. But because I've forgiven you, you're transformed. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Wow. Stand strong in this definition of love that's biblical, and you'll have a motivation of love that will never, never fail. So, We can always abound in the work of the Lord when we stand strong in His sovereign grace. So, think through these three things. The gospel message. Are you standing strong in it? So, Joe, we're going to ask the question. Do you know how to share the gospel in a simple, informal way with other people? Have you received it? Are you standing strong in it? Do you realize this is the only way to be saved? There is no other. Gospel ministry. Be steadfast, immovable in this local church and and work and labor for the Lord. And then gospel mission. World outreach, two weeks. You say, man, it's hard. I'm going to be tired. Sovereign grace will empower you, enable you. And then the motivation. May all that we do be done with a love that's only possible in the Lord. A love that's holy, it's righteous, it's humbling, it's compassionate, it's life-changing. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, we come, and uh, this is a hard lesson, but it's a necessary one. It's a hard lesson because to grasp how gracious you've been with us is nearly impossible to do. And like the Corinthians, we need to be reminded of it. We need to rehearse it. We need to be told it again and again. And Lord, I pray that my feeble attempt would be used to remind us, refresh us, Father. We can abound because Your sovereign grace enables us, equips us, it unleashes us. Father, we need this reminder. May we take hold of faith and always abound in your work, knowing that our labor is never, ever in vain. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.